0: your seats. Welcome, everyone. Good to see you at Woodburn Baptist Church. I am your pastor, if you remember who I am. Uh, gosh, it's been a wild summer. Uh, I had two weeks vacation. I was back a week and then gone, uh, just returning from a mission trip to Haiti with a, a good number of you. Uh, it was such an amazing week uh, of work in, in Haiti. Uh, I'm still at a very spiritually raw place. God did amazing things through us, but, but probably mostly in us and probably most especially in me. Uh, Uh, Among other things, Haiti's the hottest place on the planet. It is so hot there. Uh, Every night, though, I slept under the stars. I went to the top of the building, slept on the roof, uh, and just uh, uh, slept under that gorgeous Haitian sky every single night. And it was the most amazing, amazing time uh, for me. Uh, But it is good to be back. No place like home. Uh, Cafe folks, we love you so much. Matt Betts, man, you're you're awesome. And I appreciate everything you all are doing uh, back there. Uh, Worship with us together. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. I put uh, this morning and, and then tonight 's passages in my worship schedule a long, long time ago, and this morning 's passage i 'll be honest, I put it in there. I felt led of the Lord to put this passage in. I had never in twenty years of ministry, i don 't think I've ever preached this passage, and honestly, even when I put it in the worship schedule i didn 't know what the sermon was going to be i just didn 't know I just it, sometimes I do that uh, as a way of challenging myself, just to put a passage in that, that doesn 't immediately connect with me. So so that I have to wrestle and, uh, and find the word of the Lord for the, for the congregation. Uh, and I wrestled, and I wrestled, and I wrestled, and I thought, man, I, I could always preach David and Goliath. You know, y'all never know, y'all don't remember what I say I'm going to preach. But, uh, but, but no, uh, when I realized that Genesis chapter 18, beginning verse 17, when I realized that this is a passage on prayer, uh, th- then, then the passage opened up to me. Uh, even as we worship uh, right now, 8.55 a.m. on a Sunday morning, um, the church at Bertin in Haiti is in worship. Uh, uh, no walls. Uh, did I mention it's hot? Oh, it's so hot. It is so hot. Uh, every part of my body was moist for eight days, you know, just <laughs> all, always. Um, they worshiped. It's hard. Everything is hard there. It's beautiful and hard, uh, but they worship, uh, and it is beautiful. Pastor Clement is, is a wonderful man of God. Our team was there. Half of the, uh, About 40 of us went from the whole church, and about half of us stayed in Britain, and we were there and worshiped last Sunday morning. Uh, the parts that they translate for us, we understand because there's an incredible language barrier. So a lot of the service was not translated. It was just in their language, which is Haitian Creole. Uh, it's beautiful. There's one moment in particular that I think all of us would say was was just a highlight of of that service, and it was the prayer of a single man. He he just stood up to pray. Um, Don't understand a word he said. Uh, I mean, there's just no way that that we could know what he was saying. Uh, I think once he said, Kentucky, and I figured he's talking about us. You know, (laughs) Kentucky jumped right out there. Uh, Amen. (laughs) We, We knew that was us. Other than that, it just prayed, and and it went on a long time. Members of our team said that they didn't think they'd prayed that long in a long time. It just went on and on and on. And I've prayed all my life. But I've never seen or heard a man pray like that. It's as if he just lit himself on fire and flung himself over heaven's gate. You know what I mean? He just, in total abandon and passion, poured his heart out before God and before the people. And it just made me want to learn how to pray. Have you ever had that moment? I've been praying, but I want... I want to to, to learn how to pray. The the, the truth of the matter is, if you look at my prayer life, you will know everything that matters about my life life. You understand what I mean by life life? It's, you know, life. If you look at my prayer life, and if I can look at your prayer life, I could probably learn everything there is to know about your life life. I I will learn what matters. I will know your heart. Uh, If you're married and you've never really heard your spouse's praying voice, you don't know that woman and there's something missing in your marriage marriage. Understand, there is power in prayer. And if you listen to the sound of a person's praying voice, you will know something different about that person. You'll know probably everything that matters about their life, life. So let's talk about prayer this morning from this particular passage. This is one of the greatest prayers in all of Scripture, if you can learn to accept that. Prayer essentially is a two-way conversation with God. Let's just get that straight. It's a two-way conversation with God. Uh, he speaks, we listen. Uh, we speak, he listens. It's, it's, it's two-way. And And so this is prayer, even though you may not think of it as prayer. This is a prayer, and there's something for us to learn in Genesis chapter 18. Let's start in verse 16. What has just happened, um, it's this really strange story, and there's so much about this that is way beyond my ability to explain to you, but but Abraham and Sarah have been visited by three men, three angels, three messengers. The really uh, just strange thing is that it's, it's three men, but at the same time, it's God. God speaks, but but Moses is seeing three men. I I don't know if this is some sort of Old Testament manifestation of the Trinity. I I just don't know. But there's something there. There are three, but it is God who who speaks. And, And it's a strange mystery of these three visitors. They have come to tell Abraham and Sarah good news. And what's the good news at the age of 90 or 100? What's the news? It's a boy. It's a boy. And Sarah goes, ha, 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 She laughs, remember? So they named the boy Isaac, which means, you know, laughter, uh, so that every time they call a roll at school, Sarah will remember uh, that, that she laughed when God gave his promise. Uh, this is what happens next. Before they turn to leave, God comes back uh, to have a conversation with Abraham. And this is where we pick up in verse 16. The men got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. And as they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Verse 17. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I've heard. And if not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. See, I I, I don't understand the three men, the two, the one. It's the Lord. It's, 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 It's amazing. Abraham approached the Lord and said, "'Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked?' Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why? You would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again. Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. Suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for the, for the lack of five? The Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Well, suppose there are only 40. Y'all know where this is going now? It's just 40. The Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 40. Well, please don't be angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded, but let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. See, I have this idea. Abraham's been there. He's bringing the number down. The Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, Since I've dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. The Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time, but suppose there are only 10 found there. The Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way and Abraham returned to his tent. It's prayer. It is prayer. It begins with verse 17. Just sort of walk through this text with me. Verse 17. The the Lord asks an amazing thing, an amazing thing. The Lord says, should I hide my plan from Abraham? Okay, remember, he's God. The book of Deuteronomy says that the hidden things belong to God, but then he reveals things to us and to our children. And this is the amazing mystery and beauty of our life with God. Everything is hidden from us. We can't know God's ways. We can't know God's thoughts. He is so infinitely beyond us. you understand that? We are less than puny termites before him. And it is absolutely stunning and amazing that that God here stops to even consider one of us. And he stops to consider Abraham. But but more more importantly, he says, man, am I really going to keep anything from Abraham? Am I going to keep a secret from Abraham? Am I going to not tell Abraham what my plan is? Do you understand how impossible that is to believe that God is one who considers us in this way? I mean, Abraham, none of us is entitled to know anything that God knows. But there is this incredible grace to God. This incredible way in which he continues to move toward us and he continues to draw us in. And this is the place where prayer begins right here. You have to understand that your prayer affects God. It affects God. Now, I know that there's a a large theological trend these days to emphasize the sovereignty of God, and it's hard to overemphasize God's sovereignty. He's God. Uh, there is none higher. There is none greater. There is no one who rules and reigns the way God rules and reigns. He is a sovereign God. Amen? I mean, he is sovereign. He is God. But this is what you have to understand. This God who is sovereign, this God who alone rules and reigns, you understand, he is not some unblinking eye up in heaven far removed from us. He comes near us. And more importantly, he invites us into his life. He invites us to be co And the work that he's doing in the world. He makes room for us within his sovereignty, us puny termites that we are. This sovereign God says, Am I really going to hide my plans from Abraham? And he turns back around, goes back to Abraham, and begins to tell Abraham the future, something that God is planning to do. It's amazing. Now, I mentioned the fact that I, that I was just completely shattered by this man's prayer in Haiti last Sunday. He prayed with passion. He, he prayed as if something was at stake. Do you understand? And so often when you and I pray, our prayers are more like, you know, bouncing a tennis ball against a wall. I mean, that's sort of how it is. And we get bored with it. I mean, honestly, I say look at your prayer life and you know everything there is to know about your life life. Some of us don't have much of a prayer life at all. And and, and we would actually say that we're bored with prayer. We pray, but we fall asleep. We, We pray, but we run out of things to say. I mean, your prayer life is dead. It's cold. It's stale. You don't have the foggiest idea what prayer is. I don't either. It's a two-way conversation with a God who invites us in, who makes room for us. A God who's going to tell us his secrets. A God who wants us to know his thoughts and ways, even though his thoughts and ways are beyond us. A God who wants to invite us into his life. You see, this is why your prayers are so small. You think that prayer is about inviting God into your life. Prayer is about God's inviting you into his life. Understand? And your life compared to God's life, no wonder you're bored. You don't have anything to offer him. Your life is no grand adventure. Do you really think he wants to pile up on the couch with you and watch the bachelorette? No, it's not about asking God to come share your life. God is inviting you to come and share his life. You're not going to sleep through that. A conversation with this God is not like bouncing a tennis ball against the wall. You understand? And this is a very different kind of prayer because Abraham knows God. He talks to God as a friend with a friend. And God reveals things to him. God invites Abraham in. Should I hide my plan from Abraham, the Lord asked? So the Lord told Abraham, I'm in verse 21. You probably should look at this with me because in a minute this is going to get alarming to you. So the Lord told Abraham, I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. (laughs) Okay, what are you going to do with verse 21, y'all? What are you going to do with this verse? I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I've heard. If not, I want to know. Okay, let that sink in. I've been hearing some things about Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to go down there and find out for myself. Because if it's not as bad as I've heard, I need to know. Okay, who's speaking there? That's God. I thought he knew everything. What are you going to do with this verse? I've heard about Sodom and Man, I've heard some awful things about Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going I'm to I'm gonna have to go down there. Find out if it's as bad as everybody's saying. Because if it's that bad, I need to know. Okay, that's God, y'all. What does he not know? Does he really need a road trip and, and, and a windshield tour of Sodom and Gomorrah to know something about Sodom and Gomorrah? Is there anything he does not know? Okay, so what are you going to do with that verse? What are you going to do with God saying, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to see. I'm going to be present there. If you're thinking, I'm going to say what to do with verse 21, I got no idea what you're going to do with verse 21. I mean, it, it, it's, I do not believe that God has to go down there to know what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't believe that God has to go down there. But the fact that he does go is amazing. Do you understand? I don't think he has to go. But the fact that he does go. We, we pray as if God is, is this God who does not care. As if God is this divine watchmaker who created the universe, wound it up like a clock, and then just left it to wind down. And that's not God. God. That's not the God who comes to us in Jesus Christ. That's not the God revealed to us in His Word in the Old Testament. That's not God. God is intensely personal. God is intensely present. God is not some Zeus, some Greek God who who sits off in the clouds and and zaps lightning bolts from a distance to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not that kind of God. He, He comes down. It's going to be personal. And this is God. Do you understand this? This is the God that we pray to. He is intensely personal and intensely present. He doesn't do things from a distance. He comes near. He comes near to love us. And and, and God forbid, in moments of judgment, he's not going to do that impersonally from a distance either. He's going to go down to Sodom. He's going to see. He's going to be there. He's always going to be there. So he's told his secret to Abraham now. Now Abraham knows that God's plan is to destroy the city. God has revealed his plan. And this is where the prayer gets interesting. What does Abraham do? Verse 23. So Abraham approached God. What? Abraham approached God. God moves toward Abraham and now Abraham steps toward God. And he says, God, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Okay, Abraham gets pretty bold here. I would say it this way. In prayer, you are absolutely allowed to get up in God's face. You are allowed to get up in God's face. I know that sounds disrespectful. I know that sounds frightening, but are you reading this passage with me? You are allowed to get up in God's face. Abraham, here's what God is going to do. And God says, this is my plan. And Abraham says, wait just a minute. That doesn't sound very much like you. That doesn't really sound like something you would do. Would you really judge the righteous with the wicked? That doesn't sound like you. Can you talk to God that way? Can you disagree with God? Can you get up in God's face? Apparently you can Maybe there's something important about the freedom to do that. Maybe it's better to to take your concerns, to take your complaints even. Maybe it's better just to get up in God's face and and pour out your heart. Maybe that's better than these years, weeks, months of silence that you call a prayer life. Say something. Approach him. Talk to him. Prayer is a two-way conversation. And now this is Abraham's way. God, this doesn't sound much like you. Would you really do that? Let's just say there are 50 righteous people in the city. Now, understand, ancient cities aren't large. We're not talking about, you know, New York City here. We're not even talking about, what's that place in Logan County, Lickskillet? This ain't even Lickskillet. I said, these are very small villages. Side of New more these are not great metropolis centers. 50 people could probably be, at that point, a third of the people in the whole city. Here it says, well, if what if it's like a third of the people, the 50 of them, are actually righteous? They don't, they don't deserve this, God. I, if you're the judge of the universe, if you're the all-perfect, all-knowing judge, I can't imagine that you would destroy 50 good people just to wipe out all the wicked ones. And what does God say? All right. All right. All right, Abraham, if there are 50, I won't destroy the city. If, if there are 50, you're right, I won't do it. So, what's Abraham say next? Well, excuse me for saying so, Lord, but you know, five people ain't much. Five people aren't a lot. So, let's say there aren't 50, but maybe there's 45. Would you really still wipe out the whole city just because you can't find five more people? I mean, you know, what's the difference between 50 and 45? What if there are 45? And on and on and on it goes. God says, okay, 45. And Abraham says, well, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, 45. What's the big difference between 45 and 40? What if there are 40? And this is how the conversation goes, back and forth and back and forth. And finally, Abraham says, 10? What if they are only 10? Why does he pray like this? Why does he get up in God's face like this? I mean, this is taking a risk. He's literally challenging God. He's challenging God to be true to his own character. He's challenging God to be true to his own sense of justice. He's challenging God here. Would you ever pray like this? See, the the bottom line is most of us pray like we don't care because honestly we don't. We don't care much. We don't care much about anything. We care mostly about ourselves. So our prayers are very, very self-centered. God help me. God bless me. God heal me. But understand, Abraham is up in God's face in this way, taking a great risk, staring into God's holiness and challenging that. That takes a lot of guts, but it's not a selfish prayer. This is what we call intercession. He's praying for other people. He's standing in the gap for other people. And for Abraham, there is much at stake here. There is much at stake There are people, their lives at stake Eternal souls at stake here And for Abraham that matters a great deal There is everything at stake here See the problem is Most of us pray and and honestly for us There's just not much at stake I mean we're praying for small things We're praying for ourselves We're praying for things that honestly have got answers And God always answers We forget what we prayed for We pray like we don't care much Because we don't care much Let's be honest but Abraham cares, and he cares deeply. He cares enough to to grab hold of the, of the of the of the throne of God and remain there until he gets some assurance from God that God is going to be true. Listen to my wife, uh, Casey. She's awesome, a woman of God. Um, Casey was telling me a story about praying for a, a healing of a friend who was very sick. And Casey said she knelt by the bed and she prayed, God, you can do this. Why would you not do this? Why would you not heal her? What glory is there for you if she remains sick? You can do this. Why would you not do this? I mean, is it okay to pray like that? Of course it is. So why don't we pray like that? Why don't we pray like there's something at stake? Why don't we challenge God to be God? God, you can do all things, so why don't you do this? God, you you love the world and you care for the world. Lord, you love the poor, so why are the people in Haiti suffering so? God, you must do something for the people of Haiti. You have to help the people of Haiti, God. You can't be true to your justice. You can't be true to your love if those people continue to suffer. You understand? and pray like that. Challenge God to be God, to be true to his character. This is how Abraham prays. God, it is within your power to obliterate the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But are you going to treat the wicked and the righteous in the same way? What, what if there are righteous people there? Well, why does he stop at 10? I mean, he was on a roll. He brought God down from 50 to 10. I'd be thinking, okay, well, 24, Okay, God, uh, how about two? The point is, it's not about the number anymore. By the time we get to verse 33, it's not about the number. Abraham has his assurance. That God is not going to deal with the righteous in the same way that He deals with the wicked. Abraham has this assurance from God He knows God. He's wrestled with God. you understand? That's prayer. You don't sleep through this kind of prayer. You don't even have to set your alarm to get up for this kind of prayer. I mean, this kind of prayer gets you out of bed. You understand that this, this is the life of prayer that you and I are missing. You, you tangle with God. Because deep down, you know that your prayer makes a difference to God. It makes a difference. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, he is. But in his sovereignty, he makes room for us. God reveals his plan to Abraham. But by the time Abraham prays, understand, that plan has shifted. That plan has changed. I mean, literally changed the outcome of what was going to happen. Don't miss that. God had a plan. He revealed his plan. But then Abraham prays and and God begins to shift. I mean, things happen when we pray. If we didn't believe that our prayer makes a difference to God, if we didn't believe that prayer could affect the outcome, then why would we pray? Maybe that's why some of us don't. We don't really believe that God listens and God hears. And God responds. He responds. He always listens. He always answers. It makes a difference. Praying to God makes a difference to God. Well, I say that, but uh, y'all know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Yeah. Y'all know how that turns out. We'll talk about tonight, by the way, chapter 19. Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed anyway. Look over chapter 19. Turn in your Bibles. Look at chapter 19, verse 27. We'll skip the part we'll do tonight. We'll come back to this right now. But look at this. There's something really heartbreaking about this verse because I feel like I've stood here. Abraham got up early that morning and hurried out to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. He went back to that very place, that place where he felt like he had God's promise, that place where he had prayed and, and, and wrestled with God, that place where he got the assurance that God would not deal with the righteous and the wicked. Verse 28 he looked out across the plain toward Sodom and Gomorrah and watched as columns of smoke rose from the cities like smoke from a furnace. He prayed. He prayed, he challenged God. He Poured his heart out of you. He risked everything for praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. He goes out the next morning to the very place where he had met with God, the very place where he got the promise from God, and he looks out and he just sees the smoke. Was prayer for nothing? I said prayer makes a difference. It didn't make a difference to Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham didn't get exactly what he prayed for. Have you ever done that? You pray and you believe and and you really think that you've got assurance from God. But the next day you look out and you just see the column of smoke rising from your life. I mean, still, somehow it's all still gone. Not exactly. Keep going. Verse 29. But God had listened to Abraham's request kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. See, Lot was Abraham's nephew. God remembered Abraham's prayer. As a matter of fact, I think it's safe to say God remembers every prayer. God answers every prayer. No, Abraham did not get exactly what he asked for. Not exactly, not precisely what he asked for. Prayer isn't like that. Remember, God's ways are not our ways. Our thoughts aren't his thoughts. And I never want to be in a situation where God's just taking advice from me. I am an idiot. No, God doesn't need to just start doing what I say. I mean, you know, we'll we'll drive this whole planet off a cliff by, by noon if I'm in charge. But but still, when we pray, God God listens, God responds. It, it changes the way God deals and treats with the universe. You understand? I mean, God invites us in. This is praying. And at the end of this story, God, God listened to Abraham. Lot and his family are saved, not so much because of Lot, but because of Abraham's praying. So you understand that when you pray, God listens. God God really listens. And and when you pray, the the very outcome of things can can be changed but because of your prayers. God God listens to our prayers. James chapter 5 verse 16 says this. Say the word earnest. I think the King James word is fervent. It means warm-hearted, warm-blooded, passionate. The the warm-blooded, passionate prayer of a righteous person has great, say the word power and produces wonderful results. I mean, it's results, y'all. Things happen when we pray earnestly. I mean, warm blooded, you know, full-throated kind of praying. Not the sort of, now i lay me down to sleep kinds of prayers that, that you fall asleep in. No. It, it's the earnest prayer. Notice that the Bible nowhere praises you know, prayers that have beautiful language. It's not the poetry of your prayer. And as a matter of fact, you know, sometimes our, our theology, our understanding of God can be shallow. And sometimes we pray shallow prayers, but nowhere is the theology of your prayer praise or 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 does it give your prayer a boost there's nothing like that not even the frequency of prayers like if you pray all the time that helps no no the the thing that is prized here is is earnestness fervency passion In other words, you you pray like something's at stake because it is. You pray like you care because you do. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And here we go. Elijah. Elijah was as human as we are. What? I mean, nobody in Sunday school lessons is as human as we are. I mean, Elijah had to be superhuman. No, this is what the Bible says. These are all just people. Abraham's just a guy. Elijah, these are just people. They're as human as you and I are. As human as we are. And yet when he prayed, say the word, Earnestly, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain. What's the key word there? Earnestly, passionately. He, he prayed with all his heart. He prayed because he wanted to get a hold of God. He grabbed a hold of God and would not turn loose. This is what prayer is. So I'm telling you, last Sunday morning, this man in Haiti, By his prayer, he lit himself on fire and heaved himself over the gate of heaven and managed to take all of us with him. The earnest prayer of a righteous man. It availeth much, the King James says. I I, I don't know anything about your prayer life, but... But if I could know about your prayer life, I could probably tell you everything else there is to know about your life life. Because if you're a believer, Scripture says that your real life, your life life is hidden with Christ in God. It's hidden with Christ. So, so as it turns out, th- there's no distinction between your prayer life and your life life. If, once you have tangled up with this God, Praying is your life. Praying is life. So pray with me. Oh God, you are so faithful to listen, and we are so unfaithful to pray. The Bible tells us to pray without ever stopping because you listen without ever stopping, Lord, but yet we pray in fits and starts, Lord. We pray as if it doesn't matter. We pray as if we don't care. We pray as if you don't care. We pray as if we'll pray and nothing will happen, Lord, because honestly, some of us really believe that nothing's gonna happen. We just pray, don't believe. Lord God, would you show yourself to us today? Would you give us a a fresh picture of of who you are and how you, you lean in, Lord, how you come down to where we are so that you can be with us? You are not some faraway God who's got his mind all made up. You're not some faraway God who lives his life with no room for us in it, Lord. You make room. You make room. You create a space for us. And Lord, we step into that space through prayer and we begin to live our life, Lord, as a part of your life, Lord. You invite us in because of Christ. You ask us to come boldly to pray with daring, Lord. And I ask you. To rescue us, Lord, from the cold, dead prayers that make up our lives. Help us to pray, Lord, because you are powerful. Help us to pray, Lord, because you are good. Help us to pray, Lord, because you listen. Help us to pray, Lord, because you delight in revealing your plans to us. You delight in revealing your affections for us. You delight, Lord, in this simple act of leaning toward us and having us approach you because of Jesus. I don't know why we don't pray. I don't know why we forget. But, Lord Jesus, today by your grace, by the blood of Jesus, I pray that with prayer we would light ourselves on fire and fling ourselves over heaven's gate that we might burn in your presence. Oh, God, you are the God who listens. Make us to be people who pray by the power and grace of Jesus. Amen.